Hey guys, welcome to episode 42 of the Humanity Jitsu podcast. I'm your host, Andrew, or Humanity on Instagram, whatever you want to call me. My guest today is the Caesar Gracie Black Belt, and as well as being a longtime training partner of the great and wacky Kurt Oziander, I'm joined by Bill Hodder. What is up, Bill? How are you doing, Andrew? I can't, really good. I can't see you. Should I put my camera on? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Uh, people people were complaining to me recently. Like, I put up a thing on Instagram saying, uh, what, what do you guys want on the podcast? Do you want, like, any, any topics covered? Or like, add video. And I said to the guy, my internet's shit. I'm not adding video. Go ahead of that. You know. <laughs> we're going to go old school then. Old school yeah. podcasting, the way it was meant to be. Well, dude, there's not much to see. I'm in a basement, unless you and, and I have like a funky gi behind me. So unless you people want to see like a, a tie dye gi, the whole the whole uh, podcast, I don't know. I'll get better internet or something. <laughs> Less pressure on me to uh, you know look so handsome. So I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, guys. Uh, just to let you all know, Bill is wearing like the most suave looking. Is that like a fedora or something? What would you classify that hat as? Uh, I think they call it a pork pie. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> but you know when you lose your hair it's uh, very stylish to have a, the right hat mm. oh i tell you man i made the biggest mistake of my life during the corona lockdown stuff i shaved my head and i'm still trying to grow my hair back because i i see old <laughs> videos of me I, even that picture that came up last year of us going of me going to your seminar i had nice hair and i'm like man why did i shave my head fuck you know <laughs> Oh, yes yeah yeah i'm never doing that again okay so bill one thing i'm curious about each of my guests is how you got into martial arts did you train anything else before starting jiu-jitsu um yeah so uh as a kid i took karate and i uh, i was a fan of bruce lee and chuck norris and i was a hockey player which i think i told you so, um, and uh, as a hockey player, I was uh, one of the guys who kind of protected the the smaller guys. So I had to uh, had to fight a few times, maybe more than a few times. So, um, so I thought I was kind of tough, you know. So I, I played uh, I played hockey in college, and then I played uh, professionally two years in Germany, and after. I came back from Germany, and when I started jiu-jitsu, I thought I was pretty tough, but it turns out that I was getting my butt handed to me by people much smaller. <laughs> I thought, wow, okay, um, all that karate and hockey, uh, I'm not very tough, am I? So, <laughs> But I also did boxing and, and wrestling, so... Um, so I was always interested in martial arts pretty much since I was like five years old. Mm. Uh, say, in your sort of early days of starting jiu-jitsu, was there any sort of, anything in particular that you struggled with? Was there a certain technique or concept that just wasn't really sinking in for you? Uh, well, I'll tell you. So it was 1996 when I started, and I had heard about the UFC, but I hadn't seen one. And uh, so the first UFC that I saw was, uh, I think UFC five with Tank Abbott. I'm not sure if you remember that his uh, his first match. And so I was really interested in seeing, you know, Hoist Gracie. That's who I kept hearing about. And but the first one that I saw was just just you know he he classified himself as a pit fighter, and oh I saw him just like 
put your women and children away. This is going to be violent, you know? And like, I was like, oh my God, I'm actually, so I, I actually started jujitsu because I was afraid I was going to have to fight Tank Abbott in the street. <laughs> and I actually, I looked up, okay, I was thinking, well, how am I going to find jujitsu? And this is back in the day. Actually, wait, what year were you born? Uh, 1999. 99. Okay, so you were like three years old. The, the yellow pages in the United States was still a thing. And so I looked in the yellow pages, and it turns out that there was a Caesar Gracie Jiu-Jitsu Academy like 10 minutes from my home. So like I just showed up. So, um, and right away, like I told you earlier, you like, I was just getting my butt handed to me. And I think like the, 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 the biggest problem that I had wasn't more, wasn't like technique. <clears throat> it was just developing jujitsu stamina. So one of, uh, one of the, the guys that I became good friends with, you know, I'm still am, you know, 24 years later, he, uh, I, I was good for like a minute and I realized that hockey, uh, shifts last like 45 seconds to a minute. So in that first 45 seconds to a minute, I was dangerous. Like I was just like thrashing people. It was like, but my cardio just went down and like the very, the very first time I ever got, uh, choked out or tapped out was, with, by, by my friend Monty, who uh, I told him, like, after, like, a minute of me thrashing him, and then I became exhausted, I started walking, and I'm like, okay, I'm done, and he's like, no, we're not, <laughs> and he came up, he tackled me from behind, <clears throat> like, mount, back-mounted me, and, like, choked me to, like, near unconscious, like, I, he wasn't even letting me tap, so, like, he would just, like, barely, like, he'd almost tap, you know, I would almost tap, and he's like, oh, you're not tapping yet you're not tapping yet so so the the beginning um the beginning stages of my jujitsu journey uh was filled with me like okay how do i get endurance like how do i not go full tilt for the first minute so uh so yeah like like technique wise it was really back in 96 there wasn't all like the fancy techniques that you get to see online today, but that was my main struggle. Did I, did I answer your question? <laughs> <laughs> now, nah, man, I don't say I could drop my hoodie. Now, see, I noticed that you do sort of, uh, I remember I was making fun of you last year at the seminar. He's like, oh, old man jujitsu with the overhook triangles and stuff. But it was, it was pretty good stuff. And I remember you had me in this triangle because you're using me as the dummy. And you're like, right. okay, so guys, anyone have any questions while you're just strangulating me and I'm slowly dying? That was funny. <laughs> yes, that's that's. Uh, I always try to get you in the demonstration. <laughs> and man, when nobody had questions, you let me go. I was like, thank fuck, no one had any questions. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, awesome, Bill. <laughs> what was uh, What was your first competition experience like? Uh, How'd it go for you? Okay, so this is, uh, you might find this interesting and you haven't, I guess I haven't told you the story. So, um, so after about a year of training, a little less than a year, I'm a white belt and uh, there's a tournament. It's uh, the 1997 Joe Marrera tournament. 
And if you Google that, you'll find there was another white belt in there with me. His name is BJ Penn. I think you've probably heard of him, right? No, I've never heard of BJ Penn at all. (laughs) (laughs) So so the thing was, back then, they did not have white belt divisions. And um, so BJ was a student of Health. And Health and Caesar, you know, I'm with Caesar. Health and Caesar were together for a long time. So when I first started, it would be Caesar teaching one day, Health teaching the next, and then Nino Shembri, who also is a famous jiu-jitsu person. <clears throat> they were rotating. And then Health left, and he went to another academy, and uh, BJ went with him. Uh, but we were all still close. And uh, they told us, they told me and BJ that we're going to, get blue belts for this tournament, but for this tournament only, that we weren't really blue belts, but in order for us to compete, they had to give us one. So they gave, they handed BJ a blue belt and they handed me a blue belt. Um, I went, I made it to the finals. So I won two matches and uh, I made it to the final. I lost in the finals. Uh, BJ went on to, uh, he just, destroyed everybody, you know, so he was a white belt, destroyed everybody in the blue belt division. Um, and when, uh, after, and there's a video of, there's a VHS of it somewhere floating around where, uh, and I, you said, mentioned Kurt. So Kurt was coaching me from the sidelines. Kurt's yelling at me through, uh, three matches. But, uh, anyway, I went, uh, back to the academy and I heard that BJ got his blue belt, like Health gave him the blue belt right away, but Caesar wouldn't give me a blue belt. He says, you're not a blue belt, you're not a blue belt. And, and uh, so one, maybe it was maybe like three months after this tournament, um, I'm rolling with Kurt and Kurt speaks Portuguese. So it's Kurt Osiander and, and Caesar are arguing back and forth in Portuguese while I'm, ro- while I'm training with Kurt. And uh, afterwards, uh, I could tell they're talking about me. And then after Kurt and I were done, Caesar walked up to me and he was like, here. And he threw me a blue belt. <laughs> and that's how I got my blue belt. <laughs> oh my gosh. Kurt was fighting with Caesar that I, that I deserved one. And, uh, that's pretty much how I got all my belts. Like other people would like tell Caesar, like, come on, he deserves a belt. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That's fucking priceless. Yeah. They're, just, they're arguing in another language about, oh man, he's good enough. No, he isn't. Yes, he is. No, he is. That's just a back and forth thing. It's like, that's like a comedy sketch or something. It was a total, it was a total comedy sketch. And like people, like when I share that story, people are like, wow, like that's pretty crazy. That's uh, an interesting way to get it. So, so like coming from like a hockey background, and then I wrestled too. I wrestled in when I was uh, in eighth grade. Uh, so like I was ready for a competition. So like my first match, like I learned a sotogari, the, the takedown judo throw, mm-hmm. and I nailed it. Like you see like the guy, like it was like a total like Epon move. <laughs> and <clears throat> uh, then the second one, I think I got another takedown. <clears throat> and uh, so I'm like, oh, okay, I can do this. And then like the last, in the finals, I almost had, I, I almost had another single leg takedown. 
and the guy flipped me over. Like, so he, he swept me. Like, I, I got the takedown, but I couldn't maintain the position, and I got rolled. Um, but it was fun. Like, so that was 1997. And, uh, you know, I just felt like like this is just an interesting competition and I was like excited about it. I'm like, Oh, this is fun. I can do this. <laughs> uh, so Bill, what's the first sort of technique you'd sort of uh, instill in like a beginner's class? Um, so, so my very first jujitsu lesson was um, by Nino Shembri and he, uh, he showed me the front choke and 24 years later, I'm still working on it. Like I, that is, it's, uh, I don't know if I show, I don't think I should, no, cause we did a no gi seminar, didn't we? Yeah. So, so I didn't show you, um, but the, uh, just getting mount. So like my, my game is similar or, you know, I try to model my game after Haja Gracie. For the most part, you like I take I try to get a takedown, I pass guard, I get to mount, and I go for the front choke. Right. And um you know then after you know Kyotera was much later where I started developing a guard. But um so that front choke was one that I I, I practiced right away and it literally I'm still working on it. I still think like that is just like if you want to like dominate someone you know this like mount so caesar called the mount uh, mount from hell and if you've ever been under jake shields mount it is a mount from hell for sure and i think one of the the things that caesar would try to teach us is you want your opponent to give up Right. And so like once you've established that you're not going to get out of this mount, then your opponent is just like, all right, please just like, let's get this over with. <laughs> and and <laughs> and and so once you you just like morally defeat your opponent, then there this the submissions start to open up. Um, but yeah, the, the front choke from mount and then then it basically that's the same as the you know choke from closed guard, too. So. That's probably been my most, uh, you know, my go-to submission over the years, over the decades. Mm. You know, we, we talked a lot about, like, uh, the sort of trials and tribulations you went through to get your blue belts, but do you have any specific requirements for one of your students to meet before you consider uh, giving them a blue belt? No. Um, so things have changed, obviously, right? Um there was like the the very first stripe that I ever got on a belt was the first stripe on my black belt was when I got my first degree after being a black belt for three years. So there was never any type of standardized uh, <clears throat> assessment to determine if you got a belt or not. So, um, when let's see what year was that so maybe like around 2009 2010 something like this was that 10 years ago already that's crazy um so around 10 years ago our academy started adding stripes and this is right before Kyotera left and uh he was like bill he's like i don't have any tape but 
you need a stripe on your brown belt. And I was like, oh, okay. And I didn't have any tape either. <laughs> so I never, I never put it on. I just never put, and then like, so then he left and kind of Caesar took back over and Caesar, you know, never put a stripe on anyone. You know, we never, we never had stripes. So um, it was really just like the way that I was brought up, you were promoted after everybody said, please promote this guy because I don't want to lose to a white belt. Right. Or I don't want to get my butt kicked by a blue belt if, you know, people come in and off the street or brown belts. And so it was always like a weird way of getting promoted. And it doesn't it didn't really make sense. Like some people like they long for the old days. You know, I'm like, yeah, but the old days were kind of crazy. Like like most people quit. Like there were still like dojo storms and. You know, like the only people that had any belts were professional fighters. It's like, imagine if like, if Nick Diaz is a purple belt, like what am I, what, what, what how am I ever going to get to a purple belt when, when like Nick Diaz is a purple belt for years, same with like Jake Shields. So, so, um, so I'm Caesar's fifth black belt. So it goes Dave Terrell, then Nick Diaz, Jake Shields. And then uh, another guy, uh, just a, another guy like me, a normal guy who's got a job. His name is George. And then me. And then Nate Diaz is number six. So he's like right behind me. So there were, uh, you know, there was really no standardized way in which people could get promoted. And I think like Caesar kind of wanted it that way. Like he didn't want to promote anybody. He was trying to get people to quit all the time. Like people would show up. I know. Is this crazy? It's like, it's not, it's not a good business model. I don't think, um, you know, people would come in in their just jeans and just like, Oh, I'm interested in jujitsu. And Caesar would be like, Oh, here, get on the mat. Here's Dave Terrell. And they'd be like, huh? And then like Dave Terrell is like heel hooking them and neck cranking them. And like this guy never showed up again. Like people just like, it was like, I don't know. It was kind of like the wild, wild west, or just like some barbarian way of uh, learning a new sport. Um, I just, I was like, okay, like I'm hanging in there. Like I didn't even realize that, you know, the people that I'm training with, so like Dave Camarillo uh, came out of that um, school, you know, with Half too, and, you know, of course, BJ Penn, and, you know, quite a Kurt Osiander. Uh, a lot of other like UFC fighters, but back in the nineties, like I didn't know who these people, they were in big names. So, so <clears throat> I think like Caesar's philosophy was, he, this is like an exclusive club of badasses. And if, if you are not willing to like drop and fight a guy that's coming in off the street, he didn't really want you. So like, I was always like, I was a teacher at this time. Right. So I'm like, I can't just fight some guy off the street. Like, I can't do this. So. Uh, so, yeah, so the, we're, we're we're kind of, you know, we've been civilized since then. So there's, you know, stripes and belt ceremonies now. But back in the day, it was not like that at all. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man, I say uh, you, you all got good fares quickly in that sort of environment because it's sort of, you know, had to. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. God, God damn. See. So, yeah. <laughs> what would be uh, your sort of coaching style? Would you emphasize drilling, rolling, or positional sparring? What's your sort of uh, preference on the three of them? So, so, so I'm a teacher, right? By trade, I'm, I, I started teaching elementary school and jujitsu within months of each other. So both of them, I've been doing it for 24 years. So I, I think a lot about, you know, as a teacher, as a coach, but I really prefer being a student, honestly. Like I, I prefer to just roll and learn as I'm rolling. Now, when I'm, you know, like when I was in Ireland, you know, I have, you know, seminar lessons prepared, right? So like I, I know like how to do a direct instruction. Okay, today we are going to learn the overhook from guard, right? And we're going to drill it. Um, and that's the way in which I normally teach. But <clears throat> really like for me, like the, the way that I learned most of the stuff was after class, right? Like during the rolling sessions with people who are really good, I'd be like, man, I cannot get out of your side control. And like Kurt, Kurt was really big in the first couple of years for me. And he would just put me in that position and he would say like, okay, try to get out. And then like he would notice, he'd be like, oh, look, you're, you know, you're not creating space here. And that's why I stick my knee. That's why you can't get out. You know, so like I, I like to work with people since, since I'm not the primary instructor, right? So, but the primary instructor at our school now came in as a white belt when I was his instructor like 12 years ago. I was a purple belt. <laughs> so, so the, the white belt that I had is now the black belt instructor under Caesar. But um, these days, I like to work individually with people like after the lesson, you know, during an open mat. And they will ask me a question, like, how come I can't, how come I keep getting rolled when I try to do the front choke, for instance, like go back to the front choke. And I would say, okay, mount me and let me see you do it. And I'd be like, well, look, your, your mount, you're, you don't have a very strong mount here. Like you, you, you've got to, you've got to make sure that you, you have a stable base and mount before you start trying to choke me because I'm just going to roll you. And so I'd be like, nope, nope. I need your leg here. I need pressure here. I need, Okay, you need a high mount, low mount, middle mount. I need grapevines. Like, and I and I would I would help. I like helping people develop games as a uh, kind of like a scaffolding, right? If you're going to build a scaffolding and you want to do some work on a building, you have to make sure that your base is solid first. And as you as you build up, if there's any wobbling. You don't just keep building on top of it. You got to go back. You got to go back down. So, one of the uh, the big things that I try to teach the, the the lower belts is patience, right? The reason why you're not getting this front choke is because you need to go back and establish a better mount. So, um, but like that's a different type of teaching style, right? Like you like you can't teach that to 40 people in a seminar in one hour, right? This is something that you have to teach like every day for a year to someone who you're training with on a regular basis. So <clears throat> I'm not sure if that answers your question, but like I, I, I think that we need to develop um, like learning modalities in jujitsu, the way in which I teach in my elementary school classroom. 
the same way. I just don't keep teaching the same thing over and over and getting no result. If for some reason I'm trying to teach something but the student isn't learning it, I need to figure out why. As you know, what is it in my instructional model that is uh, not allowing the student to absorb the concept? So, so I try to bring in my elementary school teaching uh, philosophies, but a lot of jujitsu people are like, no, no, people don't want to do that. Just teach the lesson. I'm like, all right, so here you go. Here's the overhook from guard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. That's kind of their loss if they don't want to learn it. If they don't want to learn how to learn, you know, right. that's on them. Exactly. Learning how to learn is, is really important. <clears throat> Like, you know, you can look at all the videos on YouTube or Instagram of techniques or buy a thousand dollars worth of instructionals. But if you don't know how to learn, it's kind of a waste of time at that point. You know, fix that problem first. Yeah, well, that was Machado would say. I think it was John Jacques Machado or, one, or someone said, you know, you know, a thousand techniques, but you can't apply one of them. Right. <clears throat> so like uh, for, so Caesar, we always said just like the basics were just drilled in us all the time. And so when new new games started coming out, people would try to do these new games on me. Like I didn't really know what they were doing, but it didn't matter because my 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 fundamentals were really strong. Now I did eventually like the the newer style of game. Uh, you had to understand them if you were going to like work if you were going to still compete, right? <clears throat> because like back in the nineties. You know, people weren't really pulling guard very often. So, um, but now if, you know, if I'm going to go up against somebody who who has a great, you know, De La Hiva and can do Barambolos and stuff, like, like I got to be careful, right? I can't, I, I need to know how to uh, play that game as well. But um, yeah, just fundamentals is what's gotten me, you know, and now like I'm 53 years old now. And I'm still hanging with people in their 20s, but I'm not, you know, I can't invert the way, you know, 22 year old black belts can. And, you know, my Barambolo game, I call it a Bolimbolo. Like I can actually, <laughs> I actually can do a little bit without like pancaking my body. But um, I think, I think that the game has evolved so much. And in my game has evolved, let's just say a little, you know, not my game hasn't evolved as much as the game in general has evolved, but um, I'm always still open to, to learning. And I love like the new style of game that my, my, so Sean is the new coach and, <clears throat> you know, since COVID, I haven't really, I've trained, I actually came back and trained with them a little bit, but you know, I think we're all in the same boat. I'm not sure about you guys in Ireland, but like our, our academies aren't really training. I mean, some people are training. I've, I've got a, a blue belt that I train with now just a couple times a week. So kind of missing the, the regular class, I'm sure, like a lot of people. Mm. Uh, see, I got to say, you missed a prime opportunity for a pun there. Like you, you called it Bill and Burlo, right? Like uh, a, a Bill and Burlo. <laughs> Bill, and Bo Bill and Bolo, but what about a Baron Billo, Billo Baron Billo, because you know Bolo Billo. Billo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, like once, like if I get a, so I can do, like once my De La Riva hook is in, right, if I can grab that opposite leg, you know, and like stick a hook in, like I like getting to the back from like someone's trying with a, with, with a De La Riva hook. But uh, once someone shuts my De La Riva down, like, uh, okay, back to close guard. <laughs> Freaking <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, so guys we reached a segment of the podcast i like to call around the specifics just a bunch of random questions some about jiu-jitsu some aren't about jiu-jitsu so do you want to do around specifics bill let's do it <clears throat> excellent yeah bill what would you say is the, your favorite gi in your collection if you have one my favorite gi wow <clears throat> so uh i have a supplier in uh pakistan and he's like he sends me stuff and i bought stuff <laughs> so i'm not sure what the actual brand name is uh what is the uh like i never i i, I had a lucky gi i it was like the fanciest gi i ever had was the lucky gi but then somehow it shrank on me and i was like oh and like it was already too late to like return it, so I kind of had to give it away. Um, what is the? Uh, we used to have kickskin geese. This I don't think they're even in in stock anymore. Um, uh, there's one gee that I'm thinking of. I can't think of the name, but I, I'm just gonna go with unknown brand from a Pakistan gi manufacturer. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're all the same, really, but just get different patches sewn on them, like in transit or something. I don't know. Well, that is actually, that is the case. That is the case. So that's why someone said, uh, uh, what's the, what's the fancy, what's the, give me the fanciest brand name. Um, uh, there's Hyperfly, Show Your Roll. And, uh, show Your Roll, okay. Yeah, yeah, so sure show you. So so um, when I was talking with the manufacturer in Pakistan, he's like, "Do you like show your roll?" I'm like, uh, "I don't know." He's like, "Well, this is the show your, our version of the show your roll." I'm like, "All right." So so it's basically like a generic show your roll that's <clears throat> that's a little less expensive. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was your favorite TV show when you were growing up? My favorite TV show. Wow. Okay. Uh, you know, we used to watch as a, as a kid, the Love Boat and Fantasy Island used to come on on the same night. Now this is really showing my age because that was probably uh, must have been like late seventies, maybe. Yeah. Gilligan's Island was a good one. <laughs> and all that stuff's going over my head. I, I've never even seen Gilligan's Island. I seen someone in a weird sweater and a weird hat one time, and that's that's my that's my knowledge yeah. of Gilligan's Island. That's it. That's pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it, man. <laughs> all right. Uh, what would you say is your most embarrassing injury you have, whether it be a jiu-jitsu injury or a non-jiu-jitsu injury? Um, let's see. I, my most embarrassing injury. Okay. Well, all right. Hopefully this, I don't know how many people are going to hear this. <laughs> so, so, so as a hockey player, like I, I've, I'm missing teeth, right? So I'm missing two front teeth 
and then they had to grind down the sides. Um, but the original way I lost it was a girl punched me in the mouth. Is that awful? <laughs> because we were, we, had, we were broken up and uh, her friend wanted to date me and, and she didn't like it. And so I was, it was like, I was a teenager. I think I was like 16 years old. And so the, uh, so she came and said like, she didn't like me dating her friend. And I, and I, 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 I was just sucker punched. I didn't do anything in return. I didn't, uh, but I, I just, I was, the, the tooth dropped out in my mouth while I was in the car and I had to go to the hospital and put it back in and my uncle came. And so, <clears throat> so it's embarrassing because, because then later, like it actually went back in and I got root canal, but then in hockey, I got punched in the mouth again. <laughs> it came out and uh, I had to get a false tooth. So that was pretty embarrassing. I don't, sh I didn't, sh I don't share that story very often, but thanks for bringing it out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, that's, that's one way to handle a breakup, getting punched in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, do you have any, uh, oh, oh, sorry, this one. Uh, if you could ban one guard or position from competition, what would it be and why? If, you, if I could do what with one guard? Uh, ban it. Ban it completely. Ban it. Ban it. <clears throat> ban a certain type of guard. Uh, you know... I think it's on the athlete to adjust their game. I, like, I'm not really a fan of the double guard pull. Um, and then, you know, when everyone starts just, like, grabbing feet and going for Baron Bolo, and, you, and you've probably seen this, you know, if you've watched enough competition footage. Um, I don't know if I'd want to ban it. I just don't want to play it. You know, like, like if in, in the master's division, it's not as often where people do a double guard pull and, and, uh, start going for Baron Bolos. Like I, like Kyotera eventually got me to be a guard player. So I will, you know, I will pull guard, but I'm usually pulling guard and trying to get a close guard and then work the game that I shared with you in the seminar in Ireland. Um, but I don't want to ban anything, but I just, I'm not a fan of, of, of the double guard pull. Mm. Actually, I, yeah, I started liking, um, like grabbing, um, what's the, uh, the Keenan Cornelius guard. I don't even know all the names. It's, uh, the worm guard. Yeah. Worm guard. Okay. So like, like as an example, like worm guard, I, I saw that I'm like, oh, I don't like this. But then I started playing with it. I'm like, oh, wow, it's actually really effective. Like, I'm just, like, take, pulling out the, the lapel and, like, putting my foot on it and wrapping it around someone's leg. And, and so I was like, oh, this actually is it's actually pretty effective. <laughs> like, man, here's the thing. Like, I've noticed, I just remembered something there. Like, I've never actually seen with my eyes, whether it be in uh, training or in competition, I've never fucking seen anybody double pull ever. I don't know what the hell <laughs> is going on. Like, man, and I bought this one instructional 
It was like okay, the whole it was like leg locks, but all it was all encumbrant on uh, your opponent's double pulling along with you because that was the sort of game this guy played. And I'm just thinking, well, man, no one fucking double pulls in Ireland because what the hell? So like, well, this is it was still good good techniques and stuff. I'm like, well, if it's all encumbrant on double pulling, I'm like, well, I kind of wasted my money at that point. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I'm not a fan of that really. Like fair enough, one of you being a pussy, but the two of you both being pussies. That that that's 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 bang out of order. Yeah, like like I can like if I'm like if I can't take someone down, like that's why like what's what uh, Kyle showed me was like, yeah, like if you can't take the person down, there's no sense in just like tying up because like that's see that's bad too, right? If you just see like two old guys doing like bad judo wrestling, just like standing up for their five minute match and like no one's. There was like no jujitsu at all in that match. You just were like standing and like holding on to each other for the, for five minutes straight. Like I don't like that either. Mm. I you know I'm not against guard pulling in and of itself. Like I I I'd be a fucking hypocrite because all I do is pull guard, but I don't I don't pull guard and stall and I don't double pull because I'm not a I'm not a bitch. But like you know, there ha- there's a happy there's a happy medium. There's a happy medium. Yeah. Yeah, I like to pass. Like I, like I like you know. For years, my my game was passing guard. So like I'm like, all right, pull guard. That's where I want to be. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, do you have any nicknames inside the gym? Uh Yeah. So so uh, someone called me the gorilla a long time ago, and that one kind of stuck. Yeah, gorilla. Um, I think, you know, I, I always get the, uh, you're strong, which is kind of, uh, you know, it's a little bit of an insult, right? Because I want to say like, I actually have technique, like I'm not just strong, like I, I'm, <laughs> but, um, I think like coming from a hockey athletic background that, um, you know, I got the, oh, he's just strong, you know, kind of. Uh, stereotype and I'll take it like gorilla like I think that that's the thing with nicknames it's like other people have to give them to you right like like it would be cool if like, they called me the Barambolo star or something you know but I'm just <laughs> I just the Bill and Bolo king you know like I don't <laughs> but I I never got that one <laughs> so gorilla gorilla was my was my nickname yeah, man, I'd explain to one of my uh, f- uh, white belt friends in the gym that uh, saying you're strong is a fucking insult. It's like, like he didn't get it. Like, cause you know he's a he's a he's a tiny dude. He's a bit like on the weaker spectrum. But like, say, uh, whenever I'd like mush him, he's like, oh, dude, really strong today. I'm like, man, don't fucking call me strong. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> you know how it is. Yeah, I, I do. Oh, man. Uh, if you could time travel to any historical period, where would you go and why? Ooh. Hmm. Can I go to the future? Yeah. Or only the I, You know, I think <clears throat> I think I would like to go to the future. I'm a, I, I love history, so um, and there are a lot of time periods that I think would be an interesting uh, time to to see, but if I had a choice, I would prefer to see something that I have no idea 
that it could possibly exist. Like maybe, you know, the space time continuum no longer has the physics or the science behind the, the physical world. Like maybe we're traveling through like our consciousness, right? So that would be cool. And then I could come back and be like, hey, everybody, just chill out because we have a great future ahead of us. <laughs> Alan, is there a, do you have a favorite philosophical quote? <clears throat> a favorite philosophical quote? Um, well, uh, Nietzsche often, one of his um, quotes was, uh, and let me see if, if I'm pulling this, saying this correctly, um, and I'm not Googling it. <laughs> um, he said something about dancing, which I, 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 I like dancing. And he said, uh, those, were, those who were seen dancing were thought mad, but it's only because they couldn't hear the music. You know, so <clears throat> I think that, and I think I probably butchered that quote, but the, the idea is that, you know, you might see people like kind of doing their thing. And then in a way, that's what a dance is. You're just doing your thing. And like, people that might look at jujitsu people and think, you guys are all crazy. What are you doing? But they just don't hear the music that's playing, right? So we're dancing our way through life listening to the sounds and, and people, I don't know, small minded people, especially just don't even hear the music playing. So we'll have to look that one up. We'll Google that quote later. <laughs> <laughs> now that's a good one, man. You know, just do your thing. It's all good. So man, what would yeah. you say is, um, what would you say is the worst movie you've ever seen in your whole life? Worst movie. Oh God. Worst movie, um, man, I don't know. Let me think. I can't. Let's see. I. What is the worst movie? Uh, boy, I'm just blanking. One. I think what happens is like I don't. I don't watch movies that I don't like. <laughs> so I don't. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know what. Can we go to best movie? Let's see. I don't. I've got those worst movie. Give me some examples. Give me an example of a worst movie. Uh, well, there's uh, the Room by Tommy Wiseau, which is uh, comedically horrible. You know that that's a big. Uh, what's it? That's a big favorite of the terrible movies. There's a uh, Troll Two. That's fucking garbage. There's a. Uh, let me think. <laughs> there's all the scary movies. Like those scary movies, you know, um, like literally they're called scary movie one, two, tr scary movie three, yeah, you know. I've heard of those. Yeah. Like I just like a lot of the like as a kid, I was always frightened by like Friday the 13th. That was scary. And then like it, it got to like number like 10 or 11, you know, and I'm like, that's not scary anymore. Like this, this suck. Um, OK, here's one. So I, I'm a big Star Wars fan. But when when the uh, when the new version of Star Wars came out, like 20 years later, I think it was like 97. So the, the original Star Wars came out in 77 and I loved it. And then um, 97, I think, came 20 years later with Jar Jar Binks. It came out and I was just so disappointed because so there, whatever the whatever the. The, the first movie of the second round of Star Wars 
and I think uh, Phantom Menace, I think it is. And yeah. yeah, Phantom Menace. Because, and I think what happened was I, I was so looking forward to this. And the original Star Wars, especially uh, one and two, were so important to me as a kid growing up that I was just let down so badly. So that's it. I'm going to go with Phantom Menace. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, see, there is one good thing about Phantom Menace. It's uh, Darth Maul with his double blade lightsaber. That fight scene was so good. You know, yeah. the music was good, but everything else kind of was shit, in my opinion. That's garbage. Yeah, well, I, I still am. Actually, so I I got, I just uh, downloaded Disney Plus because I wanted to see The Mandalorian. So I'm actually watching that right now. And that's actually pretty good. I'm happy. Like as a as a Star Wars aficionado, I probably saw the original Star Wars like 30 times, and I had I had an album of it, and I remember like I was like quoting it. I almost like memorized the whole script. <laughs> oh man, uh, we got a bit of a moral conundrum here for you if you're up for it. I'm up for it. Let's do it. Uh, see, would you rather cure cancer or solve world hunger? Hmm. Hmm. I think let's go with uh, let's go with world hunger, and then eventually enough people will be living that a scientist could cure cancer. I'm gonna go with world hunger. Uh, you know, maybe one of the hungry kids will grow up to cure cancer. Just maybe. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So if we just cure cancer, there still will probably be hunger. But if there's no more hunger in the world, I would bet that eventually we would cure cancer. So I'm going to go with hunger. Let's mm. let's let's end hunger and poverty. How about that? Now <laughs> mm. oh, that's a good one. See, it's just you know what's weird. You know, let's just say hypothetically, if like uh, cancer just disappeared one day, so many people would be out of work. Like all the cancer researchers, all these people who work for cancer charities and stuff, they'd be out of a job. Just that's imagine right. that. Imagine yeah. that for a second. Yeah, and then like if we cure hunger, we'd always we, people would get jobs, right? Because like food distribution and would be like people would be able to still work. <laughs> That's right. We can't cure cancer because we're gonna lose a lot of doctors and researchers. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's it's weird. That's a catch twenty two. Like okay, yeah, we we cured all these people, but we totally fucked over all this this other group of people. That's right. <laughs> Interesting dilemma. Interesting dilemma. <clears throat> uh, but uh, in your professional opinion, uh, do you think you could pull off a handlebar mustache? Ooh. You know, I could do it in a costume. I, I, I love, like, costumes, and I, I, I have a uh, – one of my costumes is, like, facial hair, and I can, I can grow a full beard. I can get the full beard. Uh, the handlebar mustache, the real one, I think would be challenging for me as a teacher. I would get quite a few uh, interesting looks. If you became president of Earth, what's the first sort of law you'd enact? Ooh, if I became president of Earth, yeah, I would... I would make poverty illegal. Like you were not allowed to live in squalor. How about that? 
<laughs> well, dude, like, are you going to execute people for being uh, a bit down in their luck? <laughs> I, I would be like, I would, I would, we would have to, like, I don't want, I don't want communism, but I would say that, that if, if there's like squalor, homelessness, or like severe poverty, like we need to figure out a way to cure that. Just like we were going to cure hunger over cancer. I think, <clears throat> I think as president of earth that we could abolish poverty. Mm. <laughs> like, I don't even, we don't, I wouldn't abolish like wealth. Like I don't think we would need to abolish billionaires for instance, but I think we could abolish poverty. I think we could, we could get rid of poverty. That would be my first law. <laughs> yeah. Screw poverty. We poverty does fucking nothing. Fuck him anyway. He's a bastard. <laughs> uh, man. <laughs> what would you say is your uh, jiu-jitsu spirit animal if you have one? Ooh. <clears throat> My jiu-jitsu spirit animal. Well, um like gorilla is has, you know, that was the nickname and I do I someone asked me about spirit animal and it was spider. And I thought, like, as a jiu-jitsu spirit animal, like, like I don't have the spider guard. Like, I can do spider guard, but it's not. It's definitely not my thing. Um, but let's go with, let's go with panda. <laughs> actually, let's stick with gorilla. You know why? Because, like, actually. I was watching, um, there's a video out there of like a, a silverback gorilla playing with his kids or like with, with baby gorillas. And, and the silverback was just like laying on his back, just playing this like super lazy guard. And like the, the baby gorillas were like jumping side to side. And then like eventually like the dad gorilla was sick of it and he like he stood up and all the babies scattered. So yeah, let's go with, I'll stick with Gorilla. I'll stick with Gorilla. And <laughs> mm. right, now we've reached the last question of the podcast. If you're ready for it, Bill, the last I'm question. Ooh. I'm ready. <laughs> Man, uh, <clears throat> what would you say is the most important lesson you've learned in all your years doing jiu-jitsu? The most important lesson <clears throat> in jiu-jitsu is learning how to have fun. And I know that's like, it's like, it's cliche, but the real, the real secret is to keep coming back, right? Like keep showing up, keep showing up. And how do you keep showing up? Like, I don't, like I'm doing this for fun, right? Like I'm not, I'm not required to do jujitsu. And if I don't want to do it, like there's really no way that you can be successful. And, and the, the way that I want to, <clears throat> what motivates me is, is the fun, right? Is the camaraderie with my teammates. It's, it's the exhilaration of preparing for a tournament, right? And even in defeat, like you still, it's like the next day you realize, wow, like I really want to come back because because even though I lost like I was challenged right like jujitsu we get to be challenged right to the on so many levels like physically mentally 
Like you have to rearrange your whole life in order to compete, right? You need to like eat properly and you need to get rest and you've got to figure out ways to get to an event. And there's so many facets to the competition part of jujitsu. And that's not the only thing that's fun. Like, like for me, like, like sitting on the wall after like a hard session of rolling and just like hanging out with your friends, like that's fun. So, so my suggestion for anyone is to, is to keep monitoring like what level of fun you're having because it's really not a great career choice. <laughs> like, like maybe if you're Pushesha, you know, like you're maybe making some good money or Kyotera, or if your last name is Gracie, like Caesar, like you can, you know, you can make a, a really good career out of it. But think about it, like most of the jujitsu people, like they're struggling, right? So, so you better be having fun or else, you know, pick up, there's a lot of other things like, you know, people like rock climbing and mountain biking and surfing there's like so many things so many choices so um my biggest lesson is fun like it's 24 years later and i'm still having fun like that's what's going to keep me going like once it's not fun anymore and and i and i have been through phases where it wasn't fun and like i took off like look I, i need to take off for a month or two months because it's just not fun anymore. So that's my lesson. <laughs> mm. uh, that's a good one. So guys, we've reached the end of the podcast. If you want to follow Bill on any social medias, it's at cashbill52 on uh, Instagram. And also you can check him out on Facebook and all that stuff. So Bill, do you have anything to say before we shoot off? Thank you. I just want to say thank you. It was awesome being in your academy in Ireland. And, uh, you know, one of the, I, I know we didn't, what's at the end here, but I, I took this year off of work. I traveled to 27 countries and I taught jujitsu on three different continents. And it is amazing. And jujitsu is just such a, a great way to meet people and to travel and to, to really know what you're made of. So just thank you, Andrew, for, for inviting me here. And I hope to see you again on the mat somewhere. Mm. Uh, thanks so much, Bill. Oos.